This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you so much for tuning into this interview for The Orphan's Investigation. If you want to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash orphansaudio. There you can get a bunch more exclusive Orphans content. You can also follow us on social media at Orphans Audio, and you can head over to our website, orphanspod.com, for links for merchandise, Discord, and so much more. Hello, and welcome to another thing that we do on The Orphans, where we talk to people who talk about the show. This is Ella! (laughs) (laughs) I just decided to go off the rails early. Okay, cool. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Zach. How are you doing? We have to pretend like we haven't just been talking for half an hour, and then we're like, oh, shall we record this then? (laughs) Yeah, oh, oh gee, um, you know, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you, Zach. We never get like this kind of FaceTime. <laughs> FaceTime, yeah, 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 yeah. We never speak to one another ever. And this is the only this is the only time we speak is when we're on mic. Yeah, I mean like basically because we're audio professionals, yes. we actually can't have conversations by law unless someone yeah. is recording. No, it, it yeah, it's that's a funny little loophole in in the in the BBC bylaws. <laughs> no, we can't we can't bring the BBC into it. No, I don't. <laughs> it's comedy, it's parody. I don't know, it's satire. <laughs> I'm W1A. I'm fucking I'm fucking the edge of the truth. <laughs> <laughs> okay you're right this has gone off the rails already. Oh, really quickly hello um we're here to talk a bit about the orphans um we're gonna ask each other some questions um i'm gonna start with one question for you ella this mm-hmm. you came on board the orphans probably just about a year ago now how has yeah. that year been for you Oh, it's been pretty great, actually. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. been pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah, like so. I think I I did start around like May last yeah, year, maybe about a bit. That time. No, actually, I think it was March. Really? Um, yeah, and you were doing investigation. Yes, I and... cut the first three episodes or so. Yeah, and you made me redo. I think it was episode three. You were like, "Do do the scene from episode three to show me what you've got." What? <laughs> show me what you've got. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I listened to it, and I was like, "Gee, this is a real good show." So like, I I just basically found an excuse to stick around you, and then I didn't 
Like then I needed people to talk to about the orphans. <laughs> and because I'm like antisocial, I don't have enough friends to talk to about the orphans. So I just started messaging you endlessly about the orphans. Yeah, I liked <laughs> um, it. It was good. <laughs> it was it was fun. And then like it was. since then it's <laughs> yeah, fun. no, I've changed my mind. Zach, I've got something I need to tell you. Fuck. Um, <laughs> fuck. Fuck. <laughs> uh, you say that. I literally this morning sent you like a piece of script being like, Ooh. <laughs> which is an yeah, often so thing I, I do. I, I think, yeah, like this year of the orphans has been like fun in terms of making a podcast and also yeah. emotionally very trying in terms of the fact that like every other day you send me a bit of script and say, look, Ella, this is a new way I'm going to break your heart by hurting <laughs> characters you love. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, like I'm so much worse than I am. I'm pretty nice <laughs> most of the time. Like, I feel like I've gotten this really bad rap on the Discord of being like, this guy who like mercilessly kills characters and i want to refute that now i want to come in here and i want to say no i am not george rr R. martin if i kill someone it's for a reason shots fired <laughs> come at me thrones fans <laughs> okay so first of all <clears throat> but sometimes you don't just kill characters you just put them through immense oh, yeah, emotional trauma situations. and i noticed that in the wording of that defense of yourself you only specified that you didn't kill characters which is <laughs> like yeah. our, our problem isn't just with the deaths it's like our problem is with the emotional torture they come out the other end a more um i was gonna say a better person but that's not true uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they come out the other end having learnt something and having a better character arc. You love it. You all love it. You know you love it. Stop pretending. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. No, we are. I Well, I, I'm here for those good, good feels. It's true. It's but good feels. I feel them too. That's the thing. We had a real nice, like, hearty discussion on the Discord the other day about, like, I think it was actually you weren't in this conversation. It was in my secret D and D channel. <laughs> oh, it was, okay. It was about um, how how you know I feel the character deaths too, guys. Like I'm sad about them as well. Like I I described to them like how difficult it was to write these things and how sad I am. You know when I have to to kill certain characters, but it but it just has to happen for the narrative to to flow. Sometimes you know. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen the text that you sent James when you realised that you had to kill <laughs> Baz in series one. Like, you were not a happy boy. <laughs> it's such a good image. It was after that photo of a baby as well. Yeah, and didn't you just say, "Oh God, I have to kill him"? No, I think it was like, James. I think it was fuck, fuck, fuck. I have to kill him. I don't want to, but I have to. <laughs> Yeah, and James for once like kind of broke character to be like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I made James break character. <laughs> it's always fun having him break character. But no, I think you're like the opposite in in terms of podcast writers in mm. Britain who kill a lot of characters and have like violent shows you're mm. the opposite of johnny sims because johnny <laughs> sims went on twitter and said that like he actively enjoys killing characters like he <laughs> really really likes killing like fan favorite characters he likes killing characters that we've had a lot of emotional development with um oh, whereas so like I, 
<laughs> it's so mean. I'm listening Where- to Magnus now. Now I'm really worried. <laughs> oh yeah, you should be. You should be real fucking worried. Oh no. Um, <laughs> but you know, like to be fair, on the flip side, yeah, a lot of people say to me, "Oh, you know, the orphans is is kind of grim, dark, or or dark." And I actually don't think that's true. I especially no. don't think that's true after investigation. Like mm. now that people can see that there's a lot of hope in the series, and yeah. and you're right, like characters go through horrible things, but they do. Like they survive them, they go through mm. them, and you know, in that way, it's it's kind of real. Like I like the fact that, for example, Richard Hart, Diana Strange, and Axel, the mm. Rad family, mm. are found family, and I like the fact that they've been alone and that they've had a hard time connecting with other people, and that you know they're not easy to get along with necessarily, but that <laughs> they find each other because I feel like that's much more accurate and reflective of my experience as a person in the world. Um, you know, I, I love the sort of Superman type characters where they're perfect and they're lovely <laughs> and they never say anything wrong, but they're not me. Like, oh no, yeah. Um so yeah, like I you know, I appreciate and respect the fields. Yeah. No, I, I I Yeah, I don't think it's that dark all the time. Yes, there's a lot of darkness in it, like don't get me wrong, but I think there's also a lot of comedy and humor and a lot of like really, really lovely feelings in it as well at the same time, and a lot of relatable feelings. Yeah. Like not that many, m- not that many sci-fi podcasts sit you around a dinner table with a family and show you an argument for five minutes straight with no music and make you feel really uncomfortable because it's too real. I loved editing that scene so much. Like- I think that was like. <laughs> That was one of my favorite scenes in the whole series to do. Like that scene, the scene where Richard is singing by himself. Yeah. The scene, like the whole of episode four was like agonizing. Like I swear to God, like when it got to the end of episode four, I had sort of five takes for Gavin doing uh, like the, his sort of speech to Diana after telling the story about Olivia. And I just couldn't choose. Like I must've listened to all of them. Like, I don't know, nine or ten times because like each one was so good by <laughs> itself. And every time I would stop listening critically because I'd just be so swept up in like the drama of it. And I would like kind of like, you know, like I get goosebumps mm. and I'd be like, oh shit, like I am absolutely there in that moment. And then yeah. I'd get to the end of the clip and be like, oh no, I have to like pick one. I have to listen to this again. <laughs> <laughs> because I stopped like kind of thinking critically about it. It's but... a good speech. Gavin yeah. Did that really well. And I, um, yeah, and I mean, the ones, the ones that I hated to do were, um, I mean, everything in, uh, when Diana finally breaks down about Evers. Yeah. I, I think I messaged you at the time and was like, you know, like, I can't even do this thing. I'm too emotional. Like, <laughs> listening to her just like breaking down. Like, cause that's the thing as well is that, you know, we know the actors. I mm. haven't actually met all of the actors. No. Uh, nor have I. But, <laughs> which kidding. is weird. I have, I have, I have met all of them. <laughs> no, but um, but when like Laura does very convincing pain sounds as Olivia White, like yeah. I genuinely cringe because I'm like, that's that's Laura's voice in pain. <laughs> I don't. I, Why are my friends like, in pain? <laughs> yeah, like it's it's really disturbing, and it's yeah. the same. Like I I haven't met Brooke, but I do really like 
um, Diana as a character, yeah. and I think Brooke's a great, great actor. Mm. And then I just have to listen to like two and a half minutes of Brooke crying, and I'm like, <laughs> see, <laughs> but you. Know, the thing is, is that I you don't have the like the you don't see how the sausage is made with those rushes. Like <laughs> you don't see like her and I like recording that, being like, how do we make this sound not terrible? I was like. I remember directing Amy to cry in season one. It's always those things. It's the laughing and the crying that were like, the the actors are always like, is this fine? This sounds weird. It's too over the top. I'm like, no, no, but you need to do it bigger so that it reads on audio. And they, they're like, okay, I trust you. I'm like, it's okay. And then and I remember being like, Amy, open your mouth a little bit more when you cry. <laughs> and, you know, having those similar interactions. So there's like a whole process in terms of getting those things right for the audio that you don't see when you're cutting it so like i suppose i've got a bit more detachment because i'm like yes good open mouth crying brooke well done <laughs> <laughs> yeah whereas like speaking of things that sort of make the actors feel weird um but unnecessary to the show breathing oh, yeah. stuff like we really need the breathing oh yeah i think like the breathing is so necessary and in a scene like the scene in um episode five mm. um oh god the table scene yeah we really, really, really needed those like non-verbal sounds, yeah. but also like I, I you know, because obviously I listened to the yeah. um, the whole cut. And I can I can hear the actors being like, "Do I have to keep breathing?" And like I'm like, but you, yes, <laughs> <laughs> basically yes, keep breathing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep keep breathing loudly Absolutely. into the and microphone. I think something I've done in the most recent ones is like after each scene, I've now done a breathing pass on all the scenes or as much of the scenes as I can. Like, to be like, okay, we need to get you breathing in this way for that bit of the scene and that way for this bit of the scene. And I'll just be like, and I'll like let them run for like 30 seconds or so and then be like, and now breathe as if you're terrified. (laughs) And now if you could breathe as if you've been told a funny joke. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so useful. And Mm. but then on, on the flip side, in terms of feeling uncomfortable while reviewing audio, like listening to a minute. Of someone just breathing into a mic, so I can find like the one good breath is is a really weird feeling. Okay, but I want really you to <laughs> I want you to imagine being in the room with that person, listening to their breathing <laughs> in your ear as they're doing that. <laughs> like I know that this isn't how you have it set up, but I am just very entertained by the idea of them making full eye contact with you. <laughs> very like thing is the actors can't see me when they're recording they're like facing away from me and so just for the benefit of the audience so like oftentimes like they're just breathing there and they can't see me and they have no clue if they're doing it right they have no clue if i'm just like if i'm just like nodded off they're just there like is this fine is this enough um every time every time with every actor like Everyone from Beth there and Felix to to Jack and to Amy, like all of them are like, is that fine? Is this enough? What are you having me do, you maniac? But the, the really <laughs> gratifying thing is when I like come back after I've finished it and been like, so the breathing really paid off, didn't it? And they were like, yeah, it did. And I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> A good sigh in that impression of the actors. You know, we should use that sigh. Yeah. Good one. so i feel like this is (laughs) i'm gonna force a segue here because i've got questions i want to ask you yes um 
I feel like we've been talking a lot about how the actors make their characters mm. feel like people. Like jokes aside, like things like breathing and laughing yeah. and crying do make them feel more like a, a person than just someone who's reading words off a page. Yes. And so I was wondering from your perspective as a writer and director, mm. um, when you're writing a new season, when mm-hmm. you're making a new season, do you make the plot fit the characters or do you make the characters fit the plot? Um, a bit of both. It depends on the season uh, and what kind of needs to happen in it. Um, I think most of the time the plot fits the characters. That's kind of the basic thing. But there are some instances where for things to be cohesive as a whole piece, I need to make certain characters make certain decisions. Uh, but that means that I need to lead them down that road and make their making that decision convincing. And that means seeding things very early on so that if I need someone to make a decision or do something for the plot, it doesn't feel contrived. Um, that's very much my angle with, with, with that. I think primarily as much as I can do character, the stories are character driven. Um, just because I find those to be the most convincing plots, you know, like you said, the the characters feel real. They feel like they're making real decisions. It never feels like they're being like driven through a story. They are walking themselves through the story naturally. Um, and that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's something I find really interesting about orphans generally is that <clears throat> you do have this big complicated plot and you, you've known where it, that you've known what the end game is from the start. Mm. Yeah. Um, end game. And <laughs> I In knew theaters, you would make April that joke. April 26th. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sponsor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what, Marvel sponsors the orphans. Uh, yeah. We will get sued. No, they don't. Um, Marvel with an F. M- Marvel? <laughs> Marvel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Marvel's the Avengers. <laughs> Yeah, Marvel's The Avengers sponsors the orphans. Yes. Avengers fend game. (laughs) But even though you've got these big, complicated plots, you, um, like, the conceit of the orphans, with with the clones especially, feels Mm. like a very character-focused conceit. Like, this idea of having variations on a theme Mm. and exploring questions of identity and like how far you can have like one character deviate from their core values before mm-hmm. they become a different person yep. like how confident can you make a baz before they're not a baz anymore mm. um and i was just wondering like kind of from your point of view when you were first coming up with the idea was mm. it that you were like oh i'm going to do this big space opera with conspiracies and rebellions and wars and politics mm. or was it oh i've got this neat idea about how to explore characters or was it both uh, definitely, um, I think the 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 onus was the character thing. Um, it was the conceit of clones. And then from there, I kind of took this idea of, okay, if a society had all of these kind of clones and different people and had them, you know, performing different things, what would that society look like? And and out of that, I kind of grew this idea of the collective. And then I thought, well, an alliance would exist, you know, some kind of pushback against it. Um, and kind of that's how I developed it from there. So it very much started with 
uh, kind of near the end of season one when I knew kind of like I knew that the, that was the twist pretty early on in that. But I didn't really have what the world implications were that were for that. Uh, I just kind of alluded to it and I left because I didn't want to trod on anything that I might end up doing later on. So I very much just hinted at a world and then thought, OK, now I need to figure out what is this bigger picture here because I'm about to jump into it. Um, and I developed, yeah, what is the world? What What is the history of this? How did this come to be? Um, but very much the the original conceit was that I would I would have you know, all these actors playing various different versions of themselves. And that's always been really fun to do. And I think they really enjoy doing it. And it's always led to fun storytelling opportunities. Yeah, I think some of my favorite um, sort of actors that, that do that, like I mm. love the way that Alex um, mm. does different Bazes and the yeah. way that Amy does different Noras. Like, yeah, just because just listening to their like outtake listening to them figuring out like you know what's this baz gonna sound like what's this nora gonna sound yeah. like and listening to them switching between different bazes and different noras yeah. is well, like you do you have that take of amy doing vass and taylor at the same time yes which is insane like <laughs> I, and i mean especially because like I I do audio production. Yes. It is like literally my job to pay attention to how someone's saying a line and see whether or not like it feels like a natural pause between lines, like whether it feels like, you know, wh whether they are using the same voice. And that one take, like it wasn't just that she was switching like at the speed of light between two very different characters, yeah. but also the fact that she was inserting natural length pauses yeah. between like Taylor and Vass and like having Vass cut off Taylor and like you know and then Taylor like kind of you know hesitating and it was insane it was so good I know like, like she was like just let me do one take like this please because normally we always do like we record the clones separately so like we'll power through one character for like the whole first few episodes and then we'll go through the next character for the whole first few episodes like we don't tend to intermingle them so that they don't get confused. Uh, but Amy was just like, let me do this scene once with both of them. And I was like, okay, go on. <laughs> it was really fun. It's one of my favorite things. Um, <laughs> but also, yeah, so wait, like, because I think that there's something else there as well, which is like, I'm, I'm really interested to know that you actually had the clones first because I suspect mm. that that might be true, but I don't think I've ever asked you that. Like, Yeah, no, I, I had the I'd clones ever... first. Very much so. That was kind of like, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what the whole world was before I had clones. Like, I didn't, I didn't develop the collective first. I didn't, like, I think I figured out they were clones probably about, like, one or two episodes into writing. I say one or two episodes. I think I had it from episode one. Like, just because I seeded a lot of things in there. Uh, I think I knew from the beginning now that I'm talking about it, having developed it, I had a lot of inspiration from Orphan Black because I loved what they did with, with, with that. And what I wanted to do is take what I felt was the next natural step in that, in that, you know, expanding it to kind of like a mass production world. I wanted to expand it to multiple people uh, in a way that they didn't really do fully. And, and I wanted to kind of, show off more characters than just the handful that they had um uh yeah it's funny because i know that orphan black 
was like one of your influences, mm. but I think early on that's something that we kind of made friends over back when we weren't friends already. Oh yes. Uh and uh was that we both really enjoyed Channel 4's human. Yes. And yeah. <clears throat> I feel like the way that um society kind of treats the um I can't remember the specific name they give them, but like yeah. the, the robots in that series like reminded me a little bit of um the way the collective treats clones and yeah. those questions about humanity and identity. Yes, very much so. And that that was kind of those are the themes that I wanted to explore kind of going forward was was identity and uh and 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 ownership of self. Um and and I really needed yeah season 1 to kind of set up kind of our baseline if that makes sense because I don't think you can have like the variance without seeing the baseline like Sarah in in Orphan Black in that in the fir- cuz you don't get to the clones until kind of like you don't fully get to the clones until episode like three and that's where it kind of really takes off and being like oh shit and you see all the different variations of of this person and sarah really serves as that baseline in 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 that show so i needed season one to demonstrate what is the baseline of these people and how do we go from there yeah and i guess actually also orphan black is a is a good kind of catch point to orphans for Mm. I think one thing you do quite a lot is use character archetypes, but mm. you don't always. So, like, you know, Richard Hart is a very Han Solo-esque mm. uh, lone agent. and uh, Or Nora Evers is, like, the inspirational but flawed rebellion leader. Yes. Um, and then on the other hand, you have characters that really aren't archetypal at all. Like, mm. I'm not sure necessarily what archetype Diana Strange is. No. Like, she's kind of the grumpy one. I guess. <laughs> I think <laughs> like, I definitely play with archetypes and uh uh and I try to twist them where I can, you know. Um mm. like I think uh with Richard Hart for example, you know, we're very much playing into that Han Solo, you know, guy with a heart of gold, but really he you know wants to be bad but can't help but be good, but also like there are some things that I'm doing with him kind of in the future that I feel, and you know about this, like in terms of things that have happened to him in his past that I feel like really are going to change how you see that archetype in him and like changes and, and kind of explains things about him and why he feels certain ways about things. And I feel like it takes the archetype and twists it. And I really enjoy doing that. And I think I do that with, yeah, Nora Evers, uh, I definitely do that with Nora Vass massively, uh, especially going forward. And that's always something I've really enjoyed is is taking what you think is going to be the way this character is and just twisting it slightly so that you 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 see that thing and it goes, oh shit, of course, like like making them into a person, not just an archetype. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
Yeah, I've definitely sent you a lot of messages like swearing at you for <laughs> making me like sympathize with Nora Vast, which I never wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I never wanted to like actually think of her as a person, and <laughs> now I have to, and it's it's rude. Yeah. Um, but I also think like yeah, with Richard Hart, I I, I do know about future plans. Mm. Um, I th- I think he's a lot kinder and also more vulnerable than Han yeah. Solo. Like oh, I think ultimately, Richard Hart is a nicer <laughs> person. Oh, then Han Solo, absolutely. Han Solo's an asshole. <laughs> Richard Hart's quite nice. <laughs> He's a pair in these guests. You know, like, that's all he is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Let's see what other questions. Yeah. I mean, hang on. I, I must have a question for you. Let me think. Um, Ella, you have been kind of working about behind the scenes um expanding on the history of the orphans world through the medium of role playing games mm. um can you tell me and by me i mean the audience a little bit more <laughs> about um what you've been developing and and what what you're trying to bring to the world with with that and when obviously we need we, they haven't really seen any of it yet but they will do at some point uh, uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> yes uh okay uh so hmm, where to start with this okay in investigation there's a scene where rich and diana go to amos dent's house and in his house they find a jeffrey unit and on that jeffrey unit is a program labeled the baked goods program <laughs> and <laughs> pastries and <laughs> baked they- goods <laughs> yeah, pastries we make goods. Which also, I can't believe that we've never seen fan art of Jeffrey like in an apron, like <laughs> making cupcakes. Um, but you know, side note. Uh, but uh, and then they go, they go into that, and they get a recording of a deep and dramatic voice, uh, who we might presume to be someone significant in the orphans universe, uh, saying like this sort of poem song thing. And then you mm. find out from Delilah Malik that that was the marching song of the first clone rebellion mm-hmm. and I, I really love clones and i really love rebellious clones and so i messaged zach and was like hey zach can i like tell the story of the first clone rebellion and he was like ah and i was like can i make it an rpg and he was like ah and I was like, <laughs> it'll, be- <laughs> it'll be great trust me i've made a shitty powerpoint um <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of like really bad graphics and memes explaining why we should do an RPG. Yes. And I think that that was what sold you originally was the shitty power. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think you told me what you wanted to do. I th- I remember that very differently, Ella. <laughs> I remember being more like we should do an RPG and I was like, "Cool, that sounds like it could be really fun." That's my recollection. (laughs) No, um, yeah, and I mean, actually, I didn't originally want us to record it. I just offered it to you because I found (laughs) out that you hadn't played D and D before, and I was like, it would be a way for us all to make friends, as we can just get pizza and beer and um, play this game, and Mm. the actors like can just be their own characters, so they don't have to worry about making new ones. And Mm. I'll set it way before the orphans, so that they can kind of build. We like we can collaboratively build on sort of the history of the universe. Mm. And then I came up with like a world and stuff and I pitched it to you and you were like, we should record this though. 
Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that kind of led into what we are calling Rebellion, which is an actual play RPG set 200 years before mm-hmm. what's currently canon in the orphans. Yes. And you very kindly, Zach, let me kind of have the, this this period 200 years before the orphans as my kind of sandbox. So yep. I've been expanding it out and exploring like the history of the universe and also how we got from point A to point B, you mm-hmm. know, because I, I don't think that collective society has always felt the way it does in the orphans universe. Um, mm. Even before the Alliance, I think mm-hmm. like something led it led to it kind of getting to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to explore like what that might've been and, and how that might've worked. Um, so it looks a lot into the, the different ways that natural borns and clones used to interact with each other and yes. some of them very bad but some of them very good yep. um and very positive and looks at how the collective kind of set a precedent for how it was going to deal with rebellion because like right now in the orphans universe something that i find really interesting is that like clones are scared like mm-hmm. i think that one of the reasons that um catherine and baz gilroy in facility don't get along and something that i find really interesting is that baz is so frustrated that catherine just doesn't get it she doesn't understand why he can't just like leave she doesn't understand why he can't just say oh well it's fine i accidentally birthed a catherine and this will have no consequences Mm. and i think for him like i've talked to you about this before zach but like Mm. for the sake of the listeners Mm. uh i think that for Baz and for clones generally there's this kind of thing that you know you don't talk about it no one wants Mm. to talk about the fact that if you step out of line, you're dead. No one wants to talk about the fact that like things are scary and hard. And like yeah. normally clones, there's just kind of this agreed understanding, like this silent understanding that like obviously I can't say no. Obviously yeah. I can't just leave. And the fact that Catherine is making Baz Gilroy like confront this thing that like this really ugly truth he doesn't want to confront, I feel like is a, a big source of conflict and tension between them. At least it, it seemed to be to me as a listener. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And I and I feel like so I feel like something in the history of the Orphans universe led us to this point. Like, there's a reason that both clones and natural borns are really scared of rebelling. And if the alliance has only just started or like starts sort of after facility, then there has to have been something before the alliance, like a time when people did rebel and they found out what happened when they did that. And and that's the thing that people are scared of. And yeah, the collective has controlled that history like any dictatorship. Oh yeah. But also, like the people who do try and stray from the margins and the people who do try and rebel, I imagine that they quite quickly find out like what happens to people who do that. And the collective has systems now. You know, the collective has processes for how they deal with rebels. There has to have been a time when they came up with those processes, when yeah. they decided how they were gonna like kind of suppress any kind of deviation from the norm. Um and so all of those kind of questions uh, feed into the story of rebellion and the sort of surrounding material and the world building the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we did a play test with you yes. and Bethan Headley from We Fix Space Junk yes. and Liz Campbell, who does a lot of work on Wood Overcoats and Victoriosity. Yes. And we sort of ran the story to see how it worked and you all broke my game. Yeah, uh, thoroughly. <laughs> that was the yeah, goal. You... <laughs> I mean, I did ask you to break my game because yes. I wanted to kind of find the limits of it. But at the same time, you like, you hardcore broke my game. 
I mean, Liz, Liz just came into that with the idea of we're going to break this game. Like, so I think we did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And then once we'd kind of established the story and, and Zach and Beth and Headley and Liz had helped me figure out like what was happening in the setting and, and, and sort of what could happen, then we recorded it um, with, uh, Amy and Alex and James. Uh, James not playing Jeffrey. Yeah. And uh, also Pip Gladwin, who is a voice actor for Wooden Overcoats. Yes. Um. And yeah, so then we were sort of editing that recording, which is Rebellion, and we would like to release it as a series one day. And yes, as soon as as soon as we fix some audio problems, which are my <laughs> fault. <laughs> I mean. It was all, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we made Rebellion, <laughs> but Rebellion really fought back, which, you know, makes sense. Yeah. That's the name. <laughs> Rebellion was... definitely fought back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'm also working on a quick start guide, which oh, yes. for people who don't play RPGs is sort of designed to let you, like, just quickly jump into the game and the world of the game. So it's just a one shot, like a one off adventure um, that's quite simple and has kind of pre prepared characters and monsters. Mm. So that you can just like hang out with your friends and, and try playing a game in the Orphans universe. And then I may or may not also be working on a longer actual full-on manual, uh, <laughs> which has a lot more monsters and characters and settings and world. Um, and we're developing but- now the next section of the story, aren't we? Yeah. So like what happened... So I, I am actually the thing that I am most proud of with the rebellion was mm. that in the playtest we we got to the end of the playtest and I used Zach's words against him as Fuck. <laughs> as anyone who has ever listened to the orphans I think has always wanted to do um, just to kind of like get some payback on all of those uh-huh. like horrible feelings yeah <laughs> and uh, and so we got to the end of this like self contained story because rebellion is very much like a, a self contained mm. story and. I, I I kind of closed it and I made Zach cry. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I, I was I was very proud of that moment. Sorry, Zach, I love you. Um, no, it was good storytelling. <laughs> it was it was a good. You 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 knew what you were doing. Thank you. Um, and then you know I kind of thought the playtest was over, and I was like, okay, cool, thanks, Beth, Headley, Liz, Zach. Uh, that's that. And they were all like, actually, can we keep playing, please? Yeah. Um. I was like, oh, fuck, I guess I have to, like, build more planets now. <laughs> um, so you made a planet, which which is now... I feel like I was speaking with James about this, about what stuff he's developing. Uh, you're developing a lot of stuff kind of in the history, which kind of I'm taking and integrating into kind of season two and onward and other things that we're doing to kind of make sure that everyone's world meshes together right now. Yeah, which I love. Like every time you refer to something, and I mean, in my one mini episode that I've written, I couldn't help referring to some of my stuff as well because I just I just wanted to. But like... which I think people are going to hear very soon. I think at the end of this run of interviews, which of which I think this is going to be the last one, the next Ooh. thing, the next week is going to be the live show. Oh, exciting time! Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love I love referring to other stuff. So I refer to sort of planets and things that James has built in my games. Like even stuff that we don't record, I refer to planets that James has built and I'm like, oh, this character is from <laughs> that planet. Um yes. 
and and stuff like that uh and i <laughs> love on, it i just want to mention that in our most recent episode we were like i think so, there was like we were all pretending to be like three reporters from contract which made no sense contract is a farming <laughs> planet like we're all like so one person was a blogger I was a reporter from contract and then the others were like, we are also reporters from contract. And I'm like, really guys, we're going to, that's all we're going to do. Okay, cool. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, like P- <laughs> PSA to anyone listening to this. My players are a disaster. Um, <laughs> if there are any DMS out there who share my pain, please get in touch. I'm thinking of building like a, a support, support group. hotline. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, they no, I, I I love you guys. You you're really brilliant players, and actually, some <laughs> of your and like there is part of me that really wants to, or or maybe I don't want to make any promises, mm. but would love to kind of write up some of the stories that came out of the playtest as well, because yeah, I think there were some really cool moments. Um, definitely, definitely. But but yeah, so like the planet you're on now, you've referred to quite a lot um, already in in the scripts for season yes. two. Um, just, just, just mentions and stuff, but uh, which is Sigara, which is yes. probably, I, I love Sigara. Sigara is my baby. Yeah, Sigara is an ocean planet that that is, it's, it's my baby. I, wrote, I told I wrote you a something very long about wiki page. it and how I'm going to use it going forward, and you were very <laughs> upset with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say like what that is because it's a spoiler, yeah. but I am going to say that you're like a child with a sandcastle, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I built the sandcastle and like baby Zach came over and like we all know what's gonna happen next. <laughs> I'll put it back together again. Mm. <laughs> I don't trust like that. <laughs> no fair, reasonable <laughs> to be expected. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun and it's actually interesting because you know on our Discord you mentioned earlier that you have a secret D and D channel now. Mm. And, yes. um, I also have a secret D&D channel where I update everyone on the story of uh, the playtest game. Mm. And so I, I let them know what's happening. They also know from my perspective, like what I'm planning mm. and what, like, you know, if there's any kind of, if I'm tricking you guys or if there's any like other things going on that you guys haven't figured out yet, then the people on our discord know about it. So mm. they'll kind of be like, you know, have they figured this out yet? Or like, yeah. have they realized what's happening with this person? And you're just like, they and refuse to hook into a plot. <laughs> you you just hooked into a plot. I know, so it's like, I know but only just good. after having played this for quite literally months. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to understate this. Months. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason that I attacked you with giant squid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was payback for not hooking into a plot fast enough. Yeah, you guys, I'm, I'm like, listen, I've, I've built this whole planet. It's got eight cities on it. There's this big political conspiracy. There's this biennial marine festival that lasts a month. There are these parties. There's a black market. There's like this really cool like kind of scene. There's a secret city of like refugees. And you guys are like, we want to go fishing. <laughs> you Okay, hang on. Hang on a second. You can't just... We needed money. We really needed money. We were trying to wipe our names off the collective records, and that takes cash. Uh, cold hard cash. And you were like, you can make money by fishing. And we were like, great, Wait. mini game time. And then you killed us all. I didn't kill all of you. No, just one only... of us. 
<laughs> you, you, yeah, you and Laura. And, and to be fair, I didn't kill you. Our guest player harpooned Laura's character. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good. And they were trying to help. They were really trying to help. And they rolled a critical one at the worst possible moment. Yeah, like I think it was like on Laura, because Laura obviously plays an Olivia, and it was on her last death save. And oh. this guest player was like, I'm going to harpoon the squid. And then they got a critical one on her last death save. <laughs> like, and by all means, you know, by all rights, she should be dead. And I just want to point out that I'm a really nice alive. DM who yes, gave you an ambulance. True. That's very yeah. true. <laughs> Fuck, that was a funny game. I say funny, it was terrifying. Like, I don't think I've ever felt so genuinely on edge like... Like, really invested in something before like that. Like, you get that way with some stories, but, like, I was n- I was personally involved. Like, it was m- me and Laura. Me and my loving partner. <laughs> um, with with her, about, her character about to die and me being like, well, fuck me. I guess I have to fix this now. It was, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a good... Session. I think it was exciting and also interesting because in Rebellion, like in in our playtest of the first story, mm. which I'm kind of, I ref- I personally refer to your playtest as the broadcast investigation and yeah. uh sort of season one as Rebellion and season two as conspiracy mm. and um in Rebellion, like I think all of you kind of managed to mostly avoid dying. Um, oh yeah. The only person who got close oh, was God. Nora Headley's Headley's character. Oh well, there, there was the bus, but also she in the in the factory. Um, oh shit! Yeah, remember when we I was we were all healing each other in turn in that cyclical healing because <laughs> yeah. we kept dying, and I would heal Beth, and then then <laughs> then I would die, and Headley would heal me, and then Headley would die, and then <laughs> and then Beth would heal Headley, and it was just. Just cyclical, like it was like ridiculous, absolutely yep. and ridiculous. Then, and then a collective warship came in, and you guys were like, "Fuck, we better run!" Oh <laughs> god, that was a bad time. I remember that now. That was also the time that 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 Liz tried to climb on top of me. <laughs> we yeah, fell. that was a good. <laughs> Anyways, we're just talking about RPG memories. Uh, do you have any more questions, Ella? <laughs> Um, I mean, like, I had I had a couple that I think we kind of covered, like, m- why must you do this to us? Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, I do have a kind of mean question, which is like, who's your favorite character? Oh, um, I don't have a favorite character per se. But there are certainly characters who I get a lot of joy from writing. Um, I have always really enjoyed Nora Vass. I think any time I got to work with her was especially pleasing for me. Um, I love I love all the characters, but Nora Vass, um, I've got I've got a long game for, and that's always been really fun to develop. Uh, mm. And you'll hear more of Nora Vass in the live show next week. That was a good episode. It was, that a, was good a real episode. good episode. <laughs> I'm pleased that that was the one we did for the live show. Like it was like 
Yeah, I feel like people really reacted to that. I feel like, like, because I feel like it's like with with like James's and yours, like they're a little, they're more disconnected from like kind of the main plot. And then I enjoyed kind of coming in and just swinging like this like main connected character being like, by the way, canon guys, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine you kind of like blowing a kiss to the audience and just like <laughs> yeah, sweeping away. Absolutely. Yeah, if I, I wish I could have done that. If I wasn't like manning the the sound, I would have I would have done that. <laughs> uh, um, who's who's excited? Who's been your favorite character to edit? Who's your favorite performance? Ooh. Ooh, cuz like I, you know who my favorite character is. Um mm. Yes, I do. But my favorite characters edit. Like who who when you get to do one of their scenes, you're like, ooh, exciting. Hmm. Kind of I mean like I was quite excited to be able to do uh Ruby and Matt just because Oh yeah. I uh because because Xavier and Valerie weren't really in the season and so mm. it was like the first time that I got to edit a Xavier and a Valerie. Yeah. And that was that was exciting, um, but I didn't get to edit them enough that, like, I have. Uh, and then I also, I I enjoy doing Jeffrey, but like, you kind of um, put so much onto Jeffrey that it's it's not exactly the same. Ah, oh, this is tricky. Yeah, that's true. Um, There's a lot of uh, processing on Jeffrey's voice. Sarah Golding does an amazing job as Minister Orton. She does. Um, and Deck always surprises me by having a much deeper voice than I expect. <laughs> when I, whenever I'm like going to William Unit, especially if I'm going from like Gavin or Alex, yeah. and then I like go to Deck, and I'm like, this is, and it, it, it's almost like it makes it feel more fictional because I'm like, oh, this, this is such a deep voice. <laughs> I, <can't laughs> not I, I do have to like pull down the bass and Deck's voice quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very deep voice. Um, but no, like, okay, no serious answer. Um. I, I love doing Richard Hart and Diana Strange. Mm. I, I just, I love their quibbling. Like, I love Brooke and Gavin just, like, really getting into it and kind of getting the sense of humour. Um, mm. And I think, because obviously you read against them. Yes. But I like it when they've kind of warmed up enough that they, they start getting sassy with you. Like, <laughs> kind of like, yeah. you can hear the kind of, like, sarcasm in their voices. And I think I think they did a really, really good job of transitioning over time from like sort of quibbling at each other and being genuinely annoyed mm. to moving into like kind of like fond exasperation. Like especially Brooke yeah. as Diana just being like, oh, I mean, I guess like, you know, I'll I'll look after you and stuff, but also, oh, you're a pain in the ass. You know what I've always felt that the transition point for those characters is between those two things is uh, at the end of episode five. Do you know the bit where she's trying to put together the relay? Yes. And she can't, yes. and he comes and helps her. That, for me, is the, that's the moment where it flips over, and she decides to trust him, and he puts himself out there for her, she puts herself out there for him, and they kind of come together a little bit. Yeah, I definitely see that, because he could have just been a dick. He could have been like, mm. I know how this works, but I'm not going to help. I'm just gonna watch you struggle, and I feel like Diana's very used to people doing that. Like, yeah. 
in the alliance i think she's quite used to people kind of being like i'm not gonna help you i'm just gonna leave you to do it by yourself and i feel like Mm. there's such a theme in terms of richard's relationship with diana of Mm. like him letting her know that she doesn't have to do everything alone and that it is okay to ask for help and like yeah and i mean like honestly so also just like as a sincere addition like i you know, Amy and Alex are very exciting for me to edit because they're like Baz and Nora. And before I started working on the series, they were the characters I'd heard the most. And so I'm yes. always like, oh, this is the orphans because like I hear their voices and I'm like, oh yeah, like this is this is the yeah, show. Yeah, Baz but- and Nora are are the orphans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then for me personally, because I came on to the orphans for investigation, mm. like Richard and Diana are my protagonists. And yeah. I do feel like a genuine affection for Richard and Diana, like specifically Richard Hart and Diana Strange. Um, and I and I really admire um Brooke and Gavin's performances because like for me, like, yeah, they're 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 kind of my protagonists. They're my mm. series. And so I think I'm always gonna have like a slightly irrational like affection for them. And I'm always gonna kind of feel like, yeah, these this this is the story that I came onto and this is like kind of like where I feel like I I join. And mm. yeah. No, that that's reasonable. Uh, yeah, um, I love those characters. I love those two so much. Um, and the whole Rad family. It was something that when I kind of, I don't know, it it came about less constructed than previous things had because you know I had written season two originally, you know, immediately after season one. People know this, but Diana was in that. Richard was in that, and Axel was in that, but they weren't that unit that they were. Mm. And I, I think those three characters were the ones who most radically changed between that original draft of season two and where we're at now. And I feel like everything we're doing going forward is so much stronger for me having taken the time to figure out what that relationship is with them and i think that family bond unit is is really the the strength of of where we're going right now i i really agree and like i know uh brooke talked about this as well but like i for me a big part of the orphans is like kind of themes of found family Mm. and it's like as well as identity like these kind of families that you build for yourself like i yeah i personally think that like or the impression i get from the orphans is that the way that clones kind of live their lives is by finding their people and that isn't necessarily romantic like yeah you know like it's 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 not just this is someone i want to have sex with or this is someone i want to be in relationship with it's it's like these are the people i would die for yeah even though they never wash their dishes kind of thing (laughs) um yes no exactly right yeah yeah and And i I think think you see that in season one with that group of people like they very quickly form that bond to each other yeah, and then that's what's so heartbreaking about facility because you 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 kind of you almost expect like especially Gilroy and Catherine mm. to like to be that for each other and then they're just not and yeah. it, and it doesn't work and like that 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 really like hurts because they they you know that that bit where he takes her up to see the trees you're mm. like okay like I can I can see this forming and then it's it's kind of cut short and God, yeah I, love I mean that I think scene. I. <laughs> I love that scene so much. That's maybe one of the scenes I re-listen to most, like, of anything. Like, 
the mute like that is maybe just one scene that that like if i had to point to anyone and be like what is the one culmination of like everything you wanted that scene to be with the music the performances like that is definitely up there like there are lots of other moments like through all the series but that one is way up there that that scene of those two looking at the trees and the mountains and just breathing for a minute like that oh fuck i love that scene (laughs) yeah i like i I love the quiet scenes and i also love the scenes where we remember like there's a world around the characters like and for me like a big um, a moment I think a moment when I fell in love with Orphans as a series was the opening scene of Facility. Mm. Um, and when it's like raining on the spaceship. Oh, I love that. And, Isn't that good? Yeah. And like, and just sort of Gilroy and Richard. And it, I think it's, it wasn't that it was like Facility itself that made me fall in love with Orphans. It was that mm. transition from season one to Facility where there's like a Baz and a Richard, but they're not the Baz and the Richard I know. Yeah. And they're immediately recognizable as like different characters like you immediately know who they are and then that was just like this kind of like goosebumps moment where i was like oh wow like this is actually like a world and a universe and it's so much bigger (laughs) than i thought it was i'm like yeah that was that was a real special i remember where i was and it was raining when i was listening to that scene for the first time yeah and i was walking to work i was tutoring someone and i just like and I, I just sort of walked up and down the pavement because I, I just wanted to like keep listening. Like I didn't want to break out of that for even <laughs> oh, a second. Oh, that's so um. nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love any. <laughs> I think there's just something really interesting. Tell with me is like, if I'm like ever like in a place where I'm like I'm not really sure what I think the atmosphere of this place is. I really I love defaulting, not defaulting, but I love going to rain. Like, I think rain really grounds a place. Like, because I think we see a lot of places that are, like, really gorgeous vistas and, like, all that. And it's like, yeah, fair enough. You see a lot of that in science fiction. But you don't see necessarily a lot of places that are raining and a bit gritty. And I think it immediately conjures, like, a feeling for the place and for the weather. And, like, you understand a climate, like more than you would if it was just all stunning vistas or all desert all the time, if that makes sense. Because you know what light rain feels like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, like, it's also, like, it sort of, it immediately gives you as the listener some instructions on what kind of sci-fi The Orphans is, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, for example, I, I love The Expanse, but The Expanse doesn't take place in a universe where there are habitable planets or mm. multiple habitable planets. Um, and then you get sci-fi kind of, like, even something like lost in space and it's like okay there's weather here Mm. and i think something that i like generally about it like i love the rain i love the weather generally i love it when there's windy i love it when there's like bells like in clock towers Mm. in the background um and i think there's something about that where like it's it's just not an idea you think of very often like you're listening to a sci-fi show like Mm. an audio drama and you know you're on a spaceship because you can hear like the hum of an engine and Mm. occasionally an ai and some cool beats but what i never think about is like a spaceship coming into an atmosphere and it raining on a spaceship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think that that's, that's the thing where I'm just like, oh, wow, like now I feel like this is a world I live in. Like now I feel like this is a world so close to my own, but so different. And I can imagine the physicality of it. And I can imagine kind of standing in the mud. And I can imagine like, you know, Richard Hart, like in the wind or just like being a bit irritated or... um you know, someone like being in the sun or they're just being a light breeze. And I think so much about 
the thing about audio that's so intoxicating is that it happens in your head mm. but it's also i think surprisingly physical and mm -hmm. i i think that's something that people sometimes forget like is that when i hear someone breathing it's not important to me because i can hear it it's because it tells me that i'm standing right next to them mm -hmm. like that i would only hear that if i was standing so close to them that i was essentially touching them and that is intimate and that is physical and so when you have things like weather and i know what rain feels like then it it grounds me physically yeah in in that place and it makes me feel like it it, it makes me feel like i can feel it mm -hmm. and that is just so exciting and yeah just awesome rain there we go that's that's ella and zach talking for a little bit about how rain impacts audio fiction there you go <laughs> um shall we wrap it up because i think we've been recording for just about an hour now wow yeah <laughs> um thank you very much everyone for uh listening to us talk about the orphans and about uh fiction in general um you can find ella watts on social media at where um so you can find me on twitter at gej watts uh i don't really use other platforms but if you, if you find me on twitter you can uh, tweet at me and i'm always happy to talk about the orphans or um audio fiction more generally mm -hmm. uh or come chat to me on the discord because yes. i'm one of the people who's on there as am i uh what is the easiest way to find that discord uh, so we have a link to it on our Tumblr, authorsaudio.tumblr.com. Mm -hmm. um, we will also be adding it to our website, and we're, we've essentially got like a an endless invitation. Um, but yeah. if you can't get hold of that, tweet at the Orphans account or tweet at me, um, and I will send you an invitation to the Discord. Can't you uh, search so it as well? Is it a searchable thing? Uh, it is, but like because of the way the Discord servers work, you have to get an invite, so it's uh, a little bit of a uh, a pain. But we do make sure that we we often uh, post on our Tumblr about it. And again, that's orphansaudio.tumblr.com. I run the Tumblr. Mm -hmm. Please come follow our Tumblr. Um, and uh, yeah, and we we share the links as much as possible. But yeah. also, just don't be shy. Um, you can always kind of send questions to mm -hmm. the Twitter account, like that Zach and I run together um or to me and we'll we'll kind of pass you any links that you want yeah um if you want to support us for example <laughs> uh we do have a coffee or kofi i don't know how it's pronounced but we do yeah. have a kofi account which means that like if you're not able to sign up for something like patreon and you're not sure about like doing a recurring donation then you could just off. give us like a one-off yeah if you just finished investigation you're like holy shit i just realized it all ties together then you could show us that feeling of holy shit by giving us like two dollars and, and letting back buy a coffee. Hundred thousand. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and then there's a lot of like bonus material on our Patreon as well. Um, if you yeah. want to kind of check that out, and those links are always on our website. They're always on our Twitter account. Mm -hmm. They're always on our Tumblr. Um, Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. And you can follow myself at uh, ZachFG on Twitter and Instagram. So there you go. Zach, is that Zach with a name? Z-A-C-K. Z-A-C-K. F-G. Zach. Z-A-C-K. F-G. Before it's gone. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> 
yes. So thank you very much for listening. Um, and we'll see you soon on Discord or on Twitter or anywhere else. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.